Hello everyone, I'm Steve Clark and a very warm welcome to Brooklands this evening. Thank you as ever for being here and thank you for supporting the Trust. So enough of me, will you please give a usual very warm Brooklands welcome to Steve Parrish and Mick Grant. After you. Thank you very much indeed, Steve. Thank you very, very much indeed. Uh, you'll notice, Mick, we've had the step put in for you. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, it was actually for me. But seriously, lovely to see you here. Um, we've been trying to organise this for some time, um, and uh, I know we've got an awful lot to talk about. We've all, I'd like to say thank you to Ray Gale. We've gone very high-tech tonight because we've got lots of pictures of you coming up on the screen behind. Now, uh, we were going to have a monitor down here, but we decided that we maybe need some neck exercise so we can see what's going okay. on up there. Um, and so thank you, Ray, for putting together a whole collage of your life story, really, Mick, all the way through here. We've cut out some of the ones with those girlfriends and bits and pieces that <laughs> you didn't want on here. And I, interesting, I made a few notes to just check out a few things. Just firstly, uh, another round of applause for a man that's won seven TT, three Grand Prix, been really the stalwart of British motorcycle racing right the way through 70s and 80s. Mick Grant is a proper, proper man. Before we go any further, can I just say that the bit of film there with Steve <laughs> at Goodwood, you saw him as a leading. He'd already done a lap, the cheat was that much. <laughs> <laughs> now, interesting, because on my notes, I've got Mick Grant cheating bastard. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, I can say that over the years, I've maybe, maybe flexed the rules a little bit, but <laughs> nothing, nothing to this man. He's the only man that I know that's out-cheated me throughout my career. Uh, back in the days, it used to be, forget the flag dropping, just go when Mick does. That was, that was really... That, that was really, really the I rule. remember we did, um, in, I think, 1985, the beginning of the Superstock. Yes. And I won the first four rounds on the Suzuki. I remember. That, was, that, the cheating one. Which was the best bike, in fairness. It wasn't me. And you, halfway through the season, you came past me at Snetterton with about 15 miles an hour to spare. And as you came past and like, drafted me, I thought, that's not, that's not legal. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually put a protest in. Because our team manager, Rex Whitey, wasn't there. He was ill somewhere. And I've always felt bad about it, and I really do apologise. Because the scrutineers pulled his bike apart. They didn't actually find what you were cheating at, but they found a little blip in the inlet that had been smoothed off, and that's how they chucked you out. And yeah, yeah. I really feel bad uh, about I know you, you Maybe did, I don't feel that bad. No, yeah, I'm sure you don't. I, all I know is you did sleep that night, or you allegedly. I did check with Carol that you did, but uh, I know you did apologise in your book for that. Uh, and then, in fact, as the evening goes on, I'll tell you how I got him back, actually, more recently at Donington Park. But there's been this kind of kind of to and fro going on over the years. But uh, Ray's put together some nice pictures and bits and pieces. Mick, I looked up. You, you actually started quite late in live racing, didn't you? I did, yeah. Realistic. Yeah. 25 or something like that? Yeah, still like yeah. So, because of money, I guess, is it? I mean, a lot of people forget now. Nowadays, if you haven't won a championship by the time you're six or seven years yeah. old, you're knackered. I was, that's right, yeah, yeah. I was a bit lost. I, was, I did a, a fine arts course at doing a teacher training thing, which I'm not an academic. I didn't want to do it. And I just left, and I went just taking any labouring jobs and whatever. Okay. And I just couldn't see a future. And I started racing on the old Velocet. 
Yeah. And I was no good on it. I mean, I went three years and never even had a sniffer to win or anything. Right. But suddenly, I could see light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. And even if I hadn't been good enough to sort of make a living at it, I'd have still been doing it. Right. And, um, Just for the fun of it and the crap. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I say, back then, it, and I was the same, you had to kind of work like hell in the week and uh, yeah. then get enough money to go racing. Yeah. And um, you were mentioning, a friend of yours said the other day, when you mentioned you were retiring, he said, how can you retire from never having a job? But you actually did initially. <laughs> you initially did. Like me, I worked for five oh, years. Yeah. We, I mean, I, later, later, in, later in life, when, you, when I was team manager, and you get these fathers coming up to you, and they've got a big motor home, the kid's yeah. got a little paddock bike, yeah. and they say, come and look at our Jimmy because he's going to be world champion. And you think, poor little Jimmy is, is so spoiled yeah. that if he gets any higher up, every level up, it gets harder and harder. It, when, it, when the going gets really hard, he won't know what's hit him. No, no, you no. Know, sure. We came up the hard way. Yeah, I think so. And I think, oh, oh, truthfully, um, and it sounds like get the violin out, if it hadn't have all worked, we could have kind of gone back to work because you kind of knew what to do with your hands and everything if else. If it hadn't worked for me, I would have still been riding my Veloset if yeah. I couldn't have won anything else. Yeah. We've still got one, haven't you? Yeah, right. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Not, not, not the, not same, the one. same one. Not the same no, one. But, no, no. And that's your day-to-day -day road bike as such? It comes out when it's sunny. Right, okay. A bit, a bit like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a bit like that. I need 20 acres of blue sky above me before I fire off on a motorbike. So we're moving on very quickly. We won't let this. A TR2 Yamaha, I think I have one of those. But that, the, the Yamaha's kind of changed the world a little bit, didn't they, They're realistically, yeah. the, in the fact that, that we... Initially, there was a lot of single-cylinder Nortons and bits yeah. and pieces out there. And all of I was just... At this particular time in my career, I couldn't decide whether to give up drinking eight or nine pints a night and go racing or do whatever. Right. And because uh, at this stage, you've got a big red beard from the art college. And it looks like a fat arse, actually. Uh, <laughs> fat arse and a big belly. <laughs> and um, I decided to give the... I knocked the beard on the head in the short term. <laughs> And I went racing. OK, all right. Well, it, it worked because that kept you out of a proper job for all these many, many it years. And, and you have ridden for... Well, you've ridden virtually every motorcycle that's ever been made, haven't you, as far as racing is concerned? Never raced an Indian. An Indian? Never raced an Indian. Right, OK, right. Okay. Well, I could probably arrange that, actually, if you fancied, <laughs> fancied I've got one in my garage at home. I've got to give them a plug because they lend it to me. Um, but Jim Lee, uh, helmet, logo, if you saw Mick racing or parading nowadays, it would have the, uh, the JL on it, which was Jim Lee, your sponsor, a long-time sponsor. That was an amazing... It was the Battle of Motorcycle Club, and I used to go there. <clears throat> I was on my Velocet, and obviously the way it worked for me really was that on my Veloset, once I got after about three years and I got a bit more experience, I was starting to get sort of reasonable places in nationals. And people thought, bloody hell, if you had a right motorbike, it'd do all right. Yeah. And Jim was one of the founder members of Battley Motor Club. And at the time, I was working in a carpet factory in Battley, driving a forklift. Carpet factory, right. Yeah. OK, right, OK. And um, Jim came up I to me. I know you've laid a few things, but that's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I... <laughs> this, this is going to get nasty. <laughs> and, and Jim came to me one night at the Battle Club and said, right, I'll sponsor you. Okay. And it, and it was fantastic because suddenly he, he made, Jim made all the frames that were around. Yeah. Um, kind of a, like a spine frame, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was, yeah. Mm. Um, 
And I was working for them. It was, just fa- it was fantastic. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because we've all, you look back over your careers and, and there's always crossroads that you come up to, but sometimes you just happen to be right place, right time, meet the right person. Yeah. And that can really take you through yeah. something that, if, it, if you hadn't met him, maybe not That's be right. here tonight yeah. with me boring you about your life and everything else. But, but again, moving back on to more and more strange things. What we've got here, Norton here, have we? That was, a, again, a Jim Lee framed Norton. That's still about somewhere. Is it? Yeah. And um, that was just held on four big rubber bobbins. It was to flop about, but it, it was a fantastic handling bike. Okay. My um, claim to fame on that, in the Isle of Man in oh, maybe 70 or 71, I was, in my own mind, I was going to be first ever 100 mile an hour lap. And I was coming to the signpost corner and I can't remember the guy's name. And I was a long way behind him and I thought, he was on a Manx Norton or something. I, th- I thought, if I don't get in front of this guy now, I'm not going to get my lap in. Right. So I took a big lunge from about 40 yards back and clattered him. We both went clattering down the road. <laughs> not, not good. I bet. No, no, no. Was he a big fella? Did he come after you? No, he didn't. Oh. He, well, he couldn't because he got a broken collarbone. So I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was fairly safe. Well, and was it a good lap up until then, or it felt a good lap? Yeah. It felt like a good lap, right. but we'll never know. Okay. Too good going back. Have you ever got into a fight of a racing incident or anything, or ever been threatened or whatever? No, the nearest I've got to that was when we sponsored Whitam on the Suzuki's. Right. And we're at Scarborough. Right. And he did a fairly daredevil overtake. And the, the bloke who we did it to was a big airy fella with hands like a gorilla. And he came up to knock shit out of James. And James has got Andrea, his girlfriend, and James saw this guy coming up, he got up Andrea and put him in front of him. <laughs> Are these here tonight? Uh, Jay, Jay. Um, I must admit, going very quickly from Scarborough, I actually came very close to getting my head beaten up at Scarborough, and that was on the journey home, having left. And you remember it used to be the traffic was horrendous on a Sunday night coming out of Scarborough, and I'm in my van with uh, my girlfriend Linda and my big tall mechanic Martin Brookman, and I overtook everyone down the outside till he got to the last bit, tried to cut in with my van and caravan, and hooters were going with us, and this flipping bloke, about six foot eight, got out of a mini and came open and ripped the driver's door open where I'm sat, and I jumped straight across my girlfriend and my mechanic and, and landed up the other side. And, and in the end, I jumped out and this bloke was running, the whole traffic came to a halt because we're running around the van and caravan with this bloke chasing <laughs> And my mechanic, who could have beaten him up easily, he was sat there laughing. But anyway, I digress. Um, so, um, Yamaha, are you, I think you said earlier, it's probably the best bike you ever rode or the bike you enjoyed if, most? If, if, if I was asked the question, the best part of my career, You'd expect to think the Kawasaki years or the Suzuki years or whatever, but I really think when we're doing privateer bikes, yeah. um, I mean, this was Padgett, but just the two years after that, I had my own 250 and 350, mm. which you could actually pay for out of my winnings. Mm. Mm. And you just went where you wanted to go, yeah. you did what you wanted to do. We'd go and do a few Grand Prix, come back into the race of the year. It was just fantastic. I completely agree. I think um, a lot of people forget that the, the more... You, the, the better you do, the higher the level you get, probably the best, less fun it is because you've got commercial reasons for doing it, you've got sponsors that are coming along and paying for everything and you're obliged to focus a lot more and, and these were the great days. Well, like yeah, you say, I mean, fast forward to 1985, the year I stopped, 
I just stopped enjoying it. Mm. I was still going reasonably quick because yeah. I won the championship. Yeah. But I wasn't yeah. enjoying it anymore. No, 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 no. And, and we were, Mick and I were discussing it on the journey down here. Can you imagine now for a top superbike rider, a Grand Prix rider, when you've got a staff of 35 people at the circuit with you and you've got a dietitian there, you've got the, the guy, the, the, the psychiatrist is there and you've got so many people around you. And if you don't perform, you're, you're letting so many people down. I would have been so much better if I'd have had a psychiatrist helping me. Stopping it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I needed a good-looking fitness instructor myself. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, TZs, we went back to it. They changed the world. It's, I don't know about you. You're not as deaf as I am, are you? But they were what you made what? me deaf as well. Pardon? Pardon? Pardon, yeah. No silence on them. Pea shooter exhaust and everything else. And you'd sit in your garage revving them up and make sure the jetting was right. It just got, if That one that's just been, that was Silverstone and that's Jano Salen and the. OK, you can the, see the handlebars, actually. The quickest guy I ever rode against. Right. He would be the man you would say you felt had more ability than you... Than anyone I've ever seen. Really? Yeah. Really? That's interesting. And the interesting... That was, the grand, that was, I think, the 350 race. And we were changing places for the full race. And my poor old father, God bless him, he was in the stand. And he was a bit of a Woodbine fanatic. And that two laps from the end, we were still together. And he was that excited. He'd actually got two cigarettes lit at the same time. <laughs> And if they'd have asked me beforehand, I could have told him that told me and he was going to clear off and leave me. But there you go. Right. And he, I never got to race against him. Sadly, he, would, he was killed shortly after this, That's I think. That's right, at Monza. At yeah. Monza that year with Pasolini and everything else. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you can just see, these, he had his handlebars and he always bent down a lot. From the ice racing. Yeah. yeah. And we all did the same. We, once we'd seen how quick he was... <laughs> thought that must be the answer. That's the answer, yeah. Nothing to do with his skill or ability. It's got to be those handlebars. Handlebars, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it was a noise here. Now, we're moving on. And, and interestingly, you're still a little bit involved with Norton right now. But, yes. Um, who flipping hell designed those levels? Or is that an oversuit? Oh, that's, there's not too much imagination there, is there? No, no. They, they were red, they were red, and the bike was a powder blue. It's actually quite a nice looking bike. It never ran properly. That was the Peter Williams design bike? Yeah. It used to have um, the pannier tanks, and it got a small tank just yeah. under, under my elbow there. And it had a little cam pump on the swing arm. Right. So on the start line, the mechanics were having to do this okay. to keep the pump back. Right. At that time, every car in the world had this little camp pump. Yeah? Not a problem. No. The Norton ran that camp pump for two years and never got the thing working right. So you wouldn't <laughs> want to be going to smooth circuit as you no, were knackered? No, yeah. no, no. We did, my first time ever out of the country, I went to a race meeting in Paris at a, at a marketplace called Runges. Yeah. And um, Phil Reed was my teammate. And I mean, I, I just, I love Phil to bits, he's a real character. And he looked after me. And um, he took me out and looked at me. I'd never been out of, I think I'd been to Scotland once, that's all. Well, I wasn't very well travelled. And in the race, it was around this marketplace, and typical French, that put the markets, the stores for the vegetables and that. And then they put them on big lumps of tarmac. And in between, they hadn't moved the tarmac, so it's like, um, Okay, Each right. one is like that. There, yeah, there yeah. A few of these undulations. And Reedy said to me, because it was a push start, he said, well, Kent Anderson of the 350 Yamaha, he'll be the first away, because that's easy starting. Ago will start quick. He said, if we don't get away real early, we're never going to see the front. So the flag dropped, and f by fluke, the Norton started really quick. You went just before the flag dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been watching you earlier. And... 
and we went to the, I got behind Igo the first gone, there's about three airpin pens, and then we start going over these undulations. Well, typical of Norton, the first practice it had been raining, so we didn't get a proper run. The second practice, the Norton misfired, only got about two laps in. And I've never been really any good at counting. And we're going over the first jump, and it's just, you're just about airborne. The second jump, the second hump, you're about two foot off the floor. And over the third one, as I'm, as is as going up, I'm going to the dip. And I thought, the fool is breaking, he's breaking one too early. And I'd miscounted. As he, as he tipped the MV in, I'm three foot above him. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got both brakes on full, the, the wheels are locked. And it didn't make a damn difference. And I, I landed on top of him. And um, eventually, we landed in all these straw bales and... <laughs> I just, there's one leg stuck up and I thought that's got to be him. He <laughs> won't boats to get out the straw bills. We got him going and got him going again. And he did a few more laps. And then he came to me afterwards. His MV didn't finish. And he came to me afterwards with an, and of course it's, with it being a market, there's lots of crates and that about. And he came to me waving a nail. He said, this is from the knot and this cosmic puncture. The nail. And to this day, I don't know whether he was joking or what. But what, really? He reckons he got the... He had a puncture and he reckoned it was a nail off the knot. <laughs> <laughs> but he had no idea you'd hit him for three foot above him or anything else oh. like that. Good on you. Well done. Well, I mean, actually, for you as well, Giacomo Agostini had a pretty injury-free career. Yeah. You had a few, but nothing terribly nasty, did you? No. I remember you hurt yourself at the Northwest a fair bit. Yeah, that was a mechanical. Yeah, yeah. a rear, a rear I learned. I learned fairly on that if you're going to fall off, don't do it on the fast corners, do it on the slow bits. It's a lot less painful. Right, okay. But arguably, you, even more than me, you started earlier than me, you came through some scary periods where you lost a lot of good mates and, yeah. and you raced on a lot of dangerous circuits. Yeah, I mean, the one earlier with Jano, um, that was at Monza. And I've always been fairly good at starting. And, <laughs> and, uh, in the, in the two fifth race, there'd been the three fifth race early, and there'd been a lot of oil put down. And there were, some of the riders wanted to stop the race and get it cleared up, mm. but the Italians wouldn't go for it. I was on maybe second, maybe I think the third row of the grid, and the flag dropped. And I've always, I used to practice and practice my starts, so I was good, even though I might have cheated a little bit as well. And I started it, and for some reason it stalled. So I was maybe, maybe two seconds getting the thing going again. And by that time, the main bunch had gone. And of course, Yano and Pasolina in the front, mm. and they, they, they both glided and went. I had no idea you were in that race. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and the amazing thing is that I saw Kim Newcomb got killed in front of me at Silverstone. Yeah. And he went, it just high sided him, and he went about 40 metres on the grass before he hit these railway sleepers. And if he'd have put the brakes on, it'd have been off, it'd have been out in the next practice. Right, session. okay, he tried to stay on. And from that, if ever I got into bother, I used to get off. Mm. And uh, this particular crash at Monza, it was horrendous. There were bikes, there must have been 20 bikes down. Really? There were things, tanks coming over my head, it was horrible. And for some reason, I didn't get off. I thought, just, you're safer on the bike. Mm. And it's just, it's a decision you make in a fraction of a second. Mm. And it's, it saved me. Saved you. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite honestly, you have to say that luck comes into it, doesn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely. Yeah. No question about yeah, it. Yeah. TT, seven TT wins, a great success there. Starting number one there on a 350. Yeah, that particular race, <laughs> I'd, we were actually on the point of signing a contract with Jean Pierre, not my first 
my first right. race with them. And going over Balaf Bridge, there used to be a commentator called Jeff Cannell. Mm -hmm. who, Remember him? He, he was quite a nice bloke, but very abrasive. And apparently, I used to have this theory over Balaf Bridge. You could either do it like Ago did it, which is breaking, not quite to the hump, then just touching the throttle, and you land, it looks very stylish, land on the, on the back wheel. But in my book, that was never the quickest. The quickest way was to go right onto the hump with the back wheel, which made it look untidy. He landed on the front, but it saved the gearbox, and it was quicker. And the, my wife, Carol, was saying that, oh, Frank Perry's the Norton boss, he'll not be signing you because every time you go over Balaf Bridge, Jeff Cannell's saying he's wild, he's going to crash, he's, he's, he's riding beyond right. his ability. So, well, the 125 race was on. I went to see Jeff, and he was in the pub um, just past the, past the bridge. And he's upstairs in the bedroom with all his radio gear. And I said, Jeff, and the first time I met him, I said, Jeff, um, don't mind me saying so, but I'm landing on the front wheel because I think it's the safest way of doing it. And he said, well, I see it has been dangerous, and that's what I'm going to call it. Come back to the 350 race. The first lap, I was in a bit of a rush. So I landed on the front wheel, and he's at it again. Carol said, oh, he's, he's at it. He's, he'll not finish a race. He's, he's landed. He just looks completely out of control. The second lap round, I had a 30-second lead. So I thought, all right, I'll have him here. So I went over, and I did the Agostini thing, landed on the back wheel. It's a door at long last. At long last, he's got it right. Thank God for that. Then the third lap came round. I'd had about a minute. It was one of those days it, it was going good. I had a minute and a half lead. And I went, I didn't leave the floor. And I just stuck two fingers up. <laughs> and he said, oh, is that confident he's even waving at me? <laughs> but he actually had the last laugh because I fell off at Parliament Square. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, on, on some oil. On some oil, of course. Well, not one, of those my, greasy, not my fault. one of those greasy worms. My first uh, proper race at the Isle of Man, TT, was I think it was 77 on an RG500. And I went to Mick, who was a very uh, stalwart of TT and race there many, many years. And I was struggling with the Suzuki down Solby Strait. It was lock to lock, shaking, because back in the days, it was bumpy, wasn't it? I mean, it's very, 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 very bumpy, smooth. Yeah. And um, I seriously went to Mick, because he was probably the most experienced person, and I said, Mick, struggling at Solby Strait, come out of quarry bands, RG, switching into fifth, sixth, and things lock to lock. I said, you know, what, can you help me? He said, yeah, right down the middle of the road. I said, is that smoother? He said, no, the trees are further away. <laughs> <laughs> and that, thank you for that tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, very, very good and, and true as well. So that's probably the, the same race. Yeah. John Davidson Group, that was another sponsor then. Yeah, he's from Gretna Green. Is he? Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah, he's me. Yeah, he was a good guy. A car dealer, car dealer or bike dealer? Or? He land, he did a nationwide company doing land drainage. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, all right, well, that same helmet design, of course. Um, where's that? No idea. That's, that's the TT. Okay. And that's actually John Williams bike right John Williams had a very good sponsor called Gerald I remember Gerald Brown Gerald Brown yeah and in practice at the TT Gerald uh, John Williams was in front of me it was on it was a mixed practice it was on a um, three-cylinder Triumph production bike and we came round Glen Tramon and you know the jump you have to, just after Glen Tramon yeah well there's me and Tom Heron on 250s just about 70 or 80 yards behind him. And we just lost sight of him for a minute. 
and if they came to the jump, oh, there's bits of bike and petrol tanks and wheels, and mm. it's, it's horrible. Mm. And I wasn't going to stop, because I don't like to see things like no, that. No, I don't, no. Uh, but Tom, I slowed down to miss all this debris, and Tom pulled in front of me, and he made me stop. I thought, oh, I really don't want to be here. Mm. And we're looking around, we couldn't see John anywhere on the road. John, John. And there's a, there's a big mansion with a big grass lawn. And he sat in the middle of the lawn, <laughs> just holding his foot, he just broken his toe. Bloody and he'd gone between these trees, God knows how he did it. Anyway, Gerald Brown came up to me and said, he's not riding, we'd like to ride his bikes. Okay. Right. I thought it'll, it'll save my bike, so yeah. I rode his bikes. All right, yeah. okay. Bloody hell, he's a lucky fellow from that then. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Sad it didn't. Uh, Slippery Sam. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, first TT win. Yeah. Right, that okay. Was, that was it, yeah. And, and you did mention earlier that it got a few illegal parts on it. Not like I'm that was spreading rumours. <laughs> <laughs> that was nothing to do with me. Oh, right, okay. You, you didn't know when you rode it, no. No, no. Okay. No. But that was... <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it was so illegal, it was not true. But, 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 but I do suspect that everybody else in the race had got the same sort of idea. Yeah. But, I mean, now it's, it's scrutiny it so well, it's just very hard to get away with it. Yeah, no, it, it, absolutely. Uh, there was all sorts of things that people would do. I remember titanium uh, uh, axle shafts and things, and they'd put a little metal bung in the end, yeah, yeah. so that if the magnet came on... Yeah. They sat, I remember yeah. Les Williams. Uh, I, I broke my wrist at Brands Hatch in the Transatlantic Trophy. And I went to the TT and I broke my scaphoid and I got my hand in a plaster. Mm. And Les hadn't, I'd never met Les before. And I, I, I saw him on the morning morning practice and I shook hands with him and he, he saw this wrist in plaster and he was horrified. But we, we coped with it. We, we altered the throttle so I, could, I couldn't bend my wrist so we got to roll it. Roll it oh. like that. <laughs> All right, brilliant, brilliant. Um, uh, back to the Nortons again. And it's because, say, Peter Williams by now, had he hurt himself by now? No, you? no, that. In that race in the TT, I was asked by Frank Perris, who was a Norton team manager, to finish second to Peter. Okay. Which, oh, team orders as yeah. such, right. But I mean, I can. At that well, time, you never said you were not good at counting numbers. No, no. But I mean, I did finish second to him, but at that time, I wouldn't have beaten right, Peter around okay. there anyway. Right, right, okay. Um, yeah, they were quite, quite futuristic machines, weren't they? That looks very interesting. Yeah, they look good, yeah. That's, um, that was a very wet Hutchinson one under yeah, the wrong way around. Wrong way around, I remember. Yeah. The race, the, yeah. I enjoyed it that way around, quite frankly. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Adder Kill was a bit daunting. Uh, it was a little bit, because the <laughs> yeah. sleepers were like that. Did you do the wrong way around short and long circuit? Just the long. I've done it both, the Have short you? and right, long. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the others all did the long, and you just cut through. <laughs> So I, never never ended, come, I knew I shouldn't have come tonight. <laughs> it, it's never ending. But no, it was quite interesting, actually. You could never get away with it now. Like you say, Paddock Hill had sleepers right on yeah, the yeah. edge of the track and everything yeah, yeah. else. Uh, and stuff like that. That looks like Crocs has stopped over there, but we'll... Yeah. Don't know. Uh, ooh, that's a big field there. D Ditchburn 2, isn't it? You 3. Yeah. Uh, Ron Hasler. see you still haven't got the Angus start in number 4. No, I hadn't. No, 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 no. Stan Woods, there, 5. Barry yeah. Sheen, 7. Jeff Barry. Yeah. Tony Rutter. Yeah, 25. That's yeah, Stan. Um, oh. Chatterton, 34, it looks oh, like. That's Rutter there. Tuxworth, isn't it? With them funny. Chat. Uh, and that's. Bernard, was it Bernard Murray with the striped thing? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Paul Smart just behind him. Yeah. yeah, what a grid that is. I don't yeah. know where that is actually. I've and Ditchburn, my teammate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting stuff. Uh, Percy Tate, 95, who I'm told yeah, is not at all well. All right. Bless him. No, he's, um, he's not very well at all at the moment. Yeah, exactly. um, now, you've got um, 
at the Classic TT next year, there's going to be an auction, and you've got one of your Kawasaki's for sale, I think. Yes. You're always going yeah. up there. And yeah, yeah. The 750 water-cooled? Yes. Similar to that? No, that's way earlier. That's the... 75 and 76, they were the same, and then they changed them for 77, 78. Right. That's an early one. Okay. Yeah. Right. You see the tidy environment they worked in. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at those tyres, Avon ribbed or whatever they were. Yeah. Moving on. Um, you had a, well, I wouldn't say strange style, but you didn't stick your legs out a great deal. In fact, another interesting thing I found out on the journey here, Mick said he only touched his knee on the floor twice and it scared the shit out of you both times. It did. Yeah. <laughs> it did. Um, I never used to, I used to sit in the bike. Uh, yeah. And the, when I started, no one actually stuck no. their knees out. No, no, no. no. And, um, John Cooper reckoned he was the first. To yeah, do it, the it? first time I did it was in um, Imola, going through Aquaminerale, and I, I don't know how it happened, but I clouded the curve of my knee. I've never been as frightened in my life. Really? Right, you think, Jesus, you were off. Right, right. Uh, well, that's Joey Dunlop in it behind you. It is, yes. isn't it? Yeah, yeah and that's yeah. A, a different style with a lovely Joey Dunlop. So is that the bike you've got now, then? That's the, one, that's the one that's for sale, yeah. OK, the yeah. genuine bike, which yeah. there wouldn't be many of them ever made. I think maybe about a dozen altogether, but... They get sure. I only know three or four that right, exist. Okay. It looks to me like you're going to land perfectly there. I got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that looks like the, the perfect. It's a pretty bike, I must admit. It's a. a I think I'm a little bit biased, but if you see a side-on shot, shot of that, mm. it's the most economically built and engineered yeah. bike in the world for the time. And uh, 180 was it or something? That 90. 190 at the TT reckoned down from yeah. Craig Nabar. I mean, people, some people didn't, they said, oh, we don't believe the figure. But if you remember, at Daytona coming off the banking, mm. we'd done 180 miles an hour. Sure, sure. And that was absorbing a lot more power than going down from the crowd. And it's downhill, tailwind and everything yeah. else. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Classic TT75, or the, yeah. Yeah, what was known as the Classic. Yeah. That's the 500 then, is it? Yeah. That, Oh, that was a pig of a thing. Right. That was, it was no quicker than a 350 Yamaha, but I, I won the Northwest on it, and then we went to the TT, and the TT is the most amazing place. You never know what's in store for you. The ACU, God bless them, they still were working 30 years earlier, and that particular time, I mean, that was water-cooled. We had to stop the engines 15 minutes before the start. Mm. So when I actually pushed off the line, the engine was cold. Right. So, so I shut it off for quarter bridge, and it locked solid. Mm, mm. Um, and I thought, and I, I dropped the clutch, and eventually got it going on about two and a half cylinders. It didn't feel very good. And I thought, bugger it, I'm not walking back. Mm. <laughs> so I thought, I'll just do a gentle lap on it. And where it would, that would ref to, we're going to be revving it to 11. I'm just taking it to 8.5 so it didn't lock again. And it was a bit of a damp, miserable day. And um, at the end of the first lap, I was just going to pull in and I got a pit board. I was on the leaderboard. Yes. <laughs> I thought, bugger this, I better keep going. <laughs> and I did five laps running it in. And then the last lap, I, I caned it. And, 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 it got and better and better. It won the race. Yeah. Oh, brilliant, yeah. brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and, and the following year on the, on the 750, in 76, I'm not being big-headed, but... It wasn't a matter if I'd win it, it was how much I didn't want to win it by because the Kawasaki was that good. Yeah. And the clutch went on the line. Right. So it's just, a, it's just a weird place, you never know what's in store. The rate of attrition was very high back yeah, then, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, clutches and everything else. I mean, it, truthfully, 
I bet a third of the field used to pack up and you would all be down at the Highlanders seized up on lap one or something like that, particularly in practice <coughs> and everything else like that. Some great battles with you and the great Mr Barry Sheen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's probably Mallory Park, I'm guessing, through there. I reckon. Or, or Alton, yeah. Yeah, one yeah. of the two. You can see the difference in styles there. There's, is, that, is that a wrist injury there you've got? Uh, Rex White and uh, Rex, was, Rex was a lovely guy, wasn't he? Yeah, Rex was born with an overactive knife and fork, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was yeah. Big fella, yeah. Um, liked his chocolates and everything else. He was team manager for Suzuki, by the way, and he was the Rex's, guy. Rex's famous saying was, "If things don't change, you'll stay as they are." Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be. That would be it. Um, uh, that looks like Cadwell, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it probably is Cadwell Park, yeah. 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 Noddy Mr. Newbold, Mr. number Reed six. In the middle. Yeah, Percy Tate, I think, and uh, John Newbold and... Jeff Barry. Reed, yeah, uh, yeah. Interesting stuff. Late Scarborough. Oh, there we are, Scarborough back. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's, that's actually me third there. So I must yeah. have been being lapped. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I think uh, I must be being lapped because I'm on a 250. So, um, we're going to jump a little bit because we're at Scarborough here now. You're very much involved with Scarborough now. Yeah. 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 Um, and I've been there. You've changed a lot of things. Things have moved on a great deal. Yeah. Anyone been to Oliver's Mount? Scarborough? Okay, quite a few people. You should go. Seriously, I'd arguably say if you want to get close up and personal with bikes, it's the yeah. best viewing circuit you could ever go to. It is. You can sit on the banks and a bit like we used to do in the olden days and, and get very, very close to it. The paddock's always open and people are very amenable. And to ride it, um, in fact, it's quite strange because Barry Sheen put it as one of his favourite circuits. Yeah. He didn't like road racing, but That's it is right. kind of like road racing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people said, oh, Barry, Barry... He was frightened of that as TT. He wasn't. I mean, whatever, whatever went wrong in Barry's head to mm. make him anti-TT, mm. he certainly wasn't frightened of it because the way he went around Scarborough, sure. they went around some of the Grand Prix circuits. Mm. Um, just a danger to the TT. Yeah, I think he was probably a couple of years earlier than the other riders eventually, including Phil Reed, Agostini, and so on and so on. I think... Yeah. He was right in some ways, and I always felt it was wrong to be a world championship, realistically, yeah, it because was. it was hard for people, Italians and French and German and Spanish people, to come over and try and learn it with the... I mean, and, and, and for the TT, when they lost the world championship status, it mm. was the best thing that ever happened. Yeah, I agree. Because the people that went then um, went because they wanted to see They wanted to go, and, and, and they accepted yeah. exactly what yeah. went on there. I quite agree. Well, we'll come back to... To it again, your uh, long-time mechanic, Nigel Everett, who's yeah. still repairing motorcycles and putting them all together. And in fact, Nigel Everett will be at um, the XL London show in February, restoring some of the Barry Sheen bikes oh, really? that have come over from the Sheen family. They, they're all arrived, a lot of Yamaha, yeah. Suzuki's yeah. and everything else. When Nigel first came to me, he was only probably 15, 16, and he, he lived down in um, Oxford. Mm -hmm. And he'd come up on his little moped. And he put his outplates, chuck them in the ditch, in, in, the, in the bushes, and ride his moped up on a weekend and ride it back. And I, I've always believed, you know, that if people want something bad enough, they're going to get there. And I thought, this young fella is that desperate to be a mechanic, and I set him on. And I really, I, I never regretted it. No, he was okay. keen as mustard. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's still repairing motorcycles. If you want any restoration work doing, then he is your man. Yeah. Um, some big grids then. I mean, there was five or six on the front. Oh, that's Brands Hatch. Um, and, and it was bloody dangerous at times. Push starts with five or six on the front row and yeah, everything yeah. else like that. It yeah. was some of the scariest moments I think we could ever think about. Yeah. That would be match We've, When we used to race at Sillith, did you ever race at Sillith? Once, yeah. 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 There didn't, but, but there was no grid. Well, Gaydon was the same, where you all lined up in one yeah. low. It, whoever got in the front row first got in the front row. Yeah. And you'd have, 
you'd have 16 rides on the front row and you got to stand sideways because you couldn't stand this way around. And if one had gone down, the lot would have gone down. Yeah. yeah. I did some collaboration at a place called Gaydon. It was, your start was the main runway and they just lined everyone up in one line. It was oh, like a motocross. I think that's fair. Yeah, 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 it probably was actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'd have got away nicely. Uh, Max Race is going around, <laughs> going around on the old lorry as having your arse. Is that he's doing what Rossi does for himself and Barry's doing it for you, is he just pulling? We never got to the end of that, thank God. I don't know what happened there. I'd like to think not. That's 79 oh, no. or late, yeah, late yeah. 70s, 1979. Yeah. Uh, I don't quite know where that is at, but one of the 79, no, it was the 77 meetings where I dressed up as him and qualified for him at, at uh, Mallory Park. Now, I remember spending some time with you this season. Uh, you got to do four Grand Prix, I believe, was it, or five? Yes. Um, and you won two or three of them. I won two of them, yeah. Two of them and on the podium on three out of the four and I think you broke yeah. down in the other one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you had to share the season with uh, Barry had, um, It's a bit of a long story and, it, and it, it's not a moan, I'll just tell you the truth. It, it was Stan Shenton, wasn't Stan it? Stan Shenton. Stan the, Shenton didn't yeah. like Mick. I'm telling well, the truth. No. what actually happened, in, in 1975, Barry and I signed a contract with Kawasaki. Um, and I had a really good year, 75, won the champ Superbike Championship, Northwest TT, various other things. And Barry didn't fare that well. And halfway through 1976, things were going okay. And I was out for a meal with Barry one night in Ditchburn. And he'd had a bit too much to drink. And he told me how much Kawasaki were paying him, mm -hmm. which had doubled what I was getting. Mm -hmm. And the win ratio was about 10 to 1 in my favour right. at the time. Right. So... That started the rot, and it really actually never got... Over the next 18 months, it never got any better. Right, right. And, in fact, I rode a 250 Kawasaki in America, in Ontario, in 75, and finished third on it behind De Hamel and Kenny. And I just, I just fell in love with the bike. There's lots wrong with it, but it was potentially good. And I'd been onto the Japanese, you've got to get this bike better because we can win Grand Prix on it. Eventually, it came back out in 77, and for some reason, Shenton put Barry on the bike for the first half of the year, and I was to ride it the second half. In the meantime, I would do the domestic championships on the 750. And I said to Kawasaki, well, to Shenton, I said, look, that's crazy, because if the bike's good, we could actually, one of us could win a world championship if we do the full season. Mm. Anyway, we, we got to, the first time I got to ride it was in the, French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard and uh, I fell off in practice at top speed and I'd lost a lot of skin but in the race the, the clutch wasn't put together right and never got started and this is about two races maybe three races after the halfway stage so I wasn't getting a fair crack of the whip and lo and behold we didn't actually swap places but Barry kept on he did a full season and I did half then I went to Assen and before I went to Assen I was down at Kawasaki and I said to John Norman, who was an MD, and I wasn't being big-headed. I, I don't know if it's happened to you, Steve, or not, but just occasionally, I've known I've been going to win a race. And it's a really weird feeling. I can't explain why. I just said to John Norman, I'm going to win this weekend. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've, we've heard it all before. Which got me going a bit. And anyway, in qualifying, I, I think I third quickest in qualifying. That was okay. And... We were, the night before the race, I'm sat down in the, in the bar having a meal with 
Dave Booker was a Dunlop technician, yeah, yeah. And, and my teammate Barry Ditchman. And Barry and I never had any problems. We, we weren't mates, but we didn't have mm. any problems. And Shenton, he said, All right, I'm going up to, I'm going to um, my room to have a, a meeting with the Japanese, because it was all Japanese mechanics at that stage, apart from Nigel who came along. So they went to bed, and we just had another half a pint of beer. And then me and Nigel were sharing a room. So about half an hour later, we were going up the stairs. And as I'm passing Shenton's bedroom at this hotel, I heard my name mentioned, I stopped. And this sounds absolutely bizarre, but Nigel is actually married to, Sh to Shenton's niece, so he's actually family. Yeah. And if he was here now, he'd actually yeah. go along with this. Yeah. And Shenton's saying that you know, Barry's had one third place so far, and Mick's a dangerous rider, so we've got to make sure we get Barry to the front. And I'm not a violent person, but I was going to go in and flatten him. <laughs> and then I thought, no, the Japanese won't understand it. So I went to my room. <laughs> I went to my room and I didn't sleep. I, just, I, I laid in bed shaking all night. Yeah, yeah. Got up the following morning and I remember saying to Nigel, just make sure those handlebars are tight. Why? I said, because I'm going to break the bloody thing and the push start. And I got up to about 29, well, I got a 27, 22nd lead. It went up and up and up and up. And at the time, it was the old Assen circuit. It, was, it shaped a bit like a kidney. And we got radio, we got the pitch signals from halfway around the circuit, which was brilliant. And my lap kept going up two or three seconds a lap, and it was a bit damp. And about three laps from the end, it started raining, and I got a slick on the rear and intermediate front on. So I just I knocked a couple of seconds off, and the next lap round, it's still plus, plus, it's one plus 29 seconds. So I thought, that's strange. So I knocked another couple of seconds off, it's getting worse. And I came round again, it's still plus 29. I thought, they can't be going that slow. And then I came round the last lap, and it was one plus seven, and Nigel's waving like this. And of course, when you're out there, you can't see what's happening. It's the loneliest place in the world. And I thought, all I could see was that somebody made an awful lot of time on me. And it's a long way around that mm -hmm. The last lap, I had it sideways, I had the front tucked. It, I don't know how I stayed on it. And I came back and I pulled four seconds back, I won it by 11 seconds. And I, when I came in, Nigel said to me, I said, what the hell? What went on there? And he said Shenton was actually not giving him the... He was actually trying to get Ditchman up from fourth or fifth to up onto the podium. He wasn't getting his signals. It, it, it wasn't until the last lap he realised that he was doing that. And Stan never came to say, well done. He didn't come to the prize presentation. And mm. what really pissed him off is I won the weekend after in Sweden. Mm. <laughs> and so someone in Japan must have been thinking, yeah, should have started you off from the word yeah, go. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that bike proved to go on, because uh, you didn't get the chance, but Cork Ballington went on to win yeah. four world championships. He did, really, yeah. With that yeah, particular yeah. bike. It was the, dominant. The bike, it was a fabulous bike. Mm. And for the technically minded, when we, when we ran it at first in 1975, they got the pistons doing that, and it vibrated, and... It, the race in America, the exhaust fell apart. It was that vibrating that bad. By 77, the pistons were going down together, but they were counter-rotating. Okay. And the smallest thing in the world. Right. Gorgeous. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, it was a, a lovely motorcycle that, yeah. that went on to win so many with Corky Ballington, Greg Hansford. And yeah. You never got the chance to continue, though, with the smaller bikes. I rode in 77 and did some Grand Prix, but, again, we had a problem with Shenton. Mm. Okay. Um, which right. doesn't good. Okay, another TT, lovely sign to see, P1 plus 63. That's down there. 
Is it? Holding the board out. Oh, yeah. right. You were perhaps only plus seven then. Yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, where are we? Back to Scarborough, isn't it? That's Oliver's Mount, yeah. Yeah, it is Oliver's Mount, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, some big names and faces. Oliver's Mount, when you think back, I mean, Ago's race there, uh, yeah. Phil Reed, lots of famous, famous we people. We used to have a lot of international riders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, it was around at the MCN Superbike Championship yeah, yeah. when I was doing it and everything else yeah. like that. We were, um, we were discussing, uh, well, there's been one or two, st in fact, when you think about it, Scarborough probably has initiated a number of pranks and bits and pieces and we were discussing about the <laughs> <laughs> coming down here and, and I know Mick found it particularly funny there was um, it, we were there as demonstrating weren't we I think we were we'd, we'd all retired and we, we came were back parading. To the parading and there a lot of foreign riders had come over for this event and this fella here it pinched one of these loud ailers I hadn't pinched, I'd borrowed it off a 747. Um, I'd borrowed it from British Airways because I thought I could have a lot of fun with it. And in fact, I didn't want to steal it and be caught, so I put it in my mechanic's bag and let him walk off with it. <laughs> and he didn't know he got it till he got off, but anyway. And we were, we were stood this awning at this marquee, and there's Steve, myself and Barry. And Steve keeps saying, there's a Dutch guy there called Seath, Seath Van Dongen. Uh, Cease Van Dongen, please go to the organizer's office, please. And we're all watching, and then he got there to the organizer. No. <laughs> Walk back down again. Cease <laughs> Van Dongen, please come to the And he went up and down three times. Each time they said, You've asked for me. They said, No. <laughs> and you realized that it was him that had done it. Yeah. So, and luckily I'd seen this before. He came in to see the three of us stood there, and he said to Steve, He said, Steve, how good are your lungs? And he brought this contraption, and I don't think I've ever seen it. It's like a bit, it's a wooden thing with a propeller on it and a... And a it's originally thing. designed to test your lung capacity, I think, wasn't it, or something? Well, it, yeah, I know it's, it's a joke, joke, but that's kind of what he said. Yeah, and it's, got, and it's got, if you blow hard, it actually, it brings, it blows soot into your face. <laughs> he's seen this, so he's saying, see, said to Steve, he said, well, just try to see how your lungs are. And Steve said, oh, I've got asthma, I've got asthma. <laughs> And Sheeney said, oh, he said, I've got good lungs, I'll do it for you. And I'm thinking, no, no. And we're, we are there with a queue, mainly for Barry, queuing up for autographs. Yeah, right? yeah. There young girls and idolising Barry. Barry couldn't Sheen. wait to get up this thing. <laughs> and his eyes up and look like Al Johnson. He said, Barish, you've, excuse me, Barish, you, 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 you. And from that yeah. day on, we've called him Sooty. Yeah. 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 You blinded me. You blinded me. But anyway, uh, yeah. there was one or, one or two little things that seemed to go on at Oliver's Mount over the years, wasn't there? But yeah, I've had an awful lot of fun there and hope to have a, a lot more now that you're involved in, in running it all. Oh, there's the, the 350 thing. Another bit of Scarborough here. Uh, moving along. Uh, there you are with Graham Wood. Looks Barry. like we're lapping you again though. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must have, that obviously wasn't the start. It should have been much further up. Um, <laughs> 79. Macau. Now Macau. Oh. oh. Yeah, there's a can of worms. Oh, isn't it? There's a can of worms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, um... This fella has been the bane of my life all my career. <laughs> Bloody one prank or another, but in one particular case, we got him back. We, uh, the Kawasaki importer, a guy called Mr. Oh, some, Japanese, some Chinese name, his partner was Portuguese and he, had, he was in the police. 
And he had it was a real hard case. He got a gun stuck down his his, his trouser leg and that. And um, Steve had been up to something, so we th we thought we'd get him back. So we put some white powder in his suitcase. <laughs> and. Um, we got this copper, this Portuguese copper, to go in and arrest him. Yeah, well, initially what happened was, there's a knock on the door, and I'm sat in there, I don't know what's going on. It was early evening, six o'clock or something like that. We've come to search your room. We have uh, uh, information that you're carrying drugs. And, I'm, and I said, you can search my room, because I knew I wasn't carrying drugs. And sure enough, they go in my suitcase, and there's this big white bag of white powder, which turns out was talcum powder. So I'm thinking, oh, this is obviously a setup and this, that, and that. Anyway, straight away, I'm handcuffed now. They've handcuffed me to the bed, and in his sort of broken English, we're going for reinforcements and from the drug squad and everything else. And I'm thinking, um, this is one year prior to, well, one year after I've been in prison for blowing up the brothel. So I'm not. <laughs> I didn't much like prisons in, in that kind of area. So I am starting to panic a little bit. So anyway, he clears off. And I'm now, uh, there was no mobile phones there, I'm now on the phone, hotel phone, to ring down in the bar where my mechanic, Dave Johnson, was having a drink and I was going to go down and meet him. Knowing full well that Dave had got his toolbox with him as hand luggage because I wouldn't pay the freight for it. And in there was a hacksaw. So I'm now, I've dragged the bed across to get to the phone and I'm now on the phone, let me come back up there. Well, anyway, he's halfway through cutting my, uh, my um, handcuffs off and I'm going to have to escape out of the country or something like that. When the door bursts open, it's full of all these bloody lot pissing themselves <laughs> laughing. Um, had properly set me up and, and that was the end of it. But uh, anyway, yeah, Macau was uh, always a few issues went on with animals being liberated and bits and pieces. We used to go, we got some really good Portuguese friends who took us downtown. And oh yeah, yeah, to eat in their local food. It was really on, on like shack conditions, but the food was superb and they got frogs and chickens and whatever it was, it was live and you said you want that and you got it. And there are these big black toads and Steve being a bit of a... Um, Animal lover. rights lover. When we were leaving, he got a couple of these black toads, and I was driving the bus. It was like a minibus with those six, uh, 12 seater things. And he's holding on to these black toads. I don't know if he's thinking I've got to do with them. One of them leaps out of his hands, and it's on the floor. And all the way back to the hotel, I dared not put my foot on either the throttle or the brake in case I trod on the bloody thing. <laughs> and we get back home to the hotel, um, and we sat having a drink. Don't know what he'd been up to. And soon there's, there's a phone call from Chris Carter, who... Was a large journalist. He's a bit like an egg on legs. Lovely fellow, but a journalist. <laughs> and it's, I'm sat next to Steve, and I can do the phone call. Parish, get up here, there's a toad in my bath. And he's <laughs> terrified. Of, so Steve went up, and he said, and he eventually, imagine this big fat fella going to get in the bath. Terrified of this toad. And the toes looking at it, up at him, and I can't imagine which would be the most terrified. <laughs> no, I but as Steve, was, Steve got the toad out of the bath, rescued it, and just as he shut the door, he says, By the way, uh, Chris, there's another one in here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Left him with it. 
I think it was in his wash bag, actually. <laughs> he realised when it started moving around. But yes, we could go on all night about Macau, some of the things that, that went on it. Now, there, talking a bane of your life and my life, for that matter, this <sighs> was the NR Never Ready, I think we named it. No, the Never Ready Five. Nearly ready. Nearly ready, OK. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, uh, some smart moves have gone on over the years with different races, but you managed to get Honda to pay you to ride a Suzuki for a year, pretty much. I did. Yeah. I did, yeah. Because it was never ready or nearly ready. Um, they decided, or you, I think you told Honda that you needed practice and everything yeah. else, and they well, paid I, for an RG500. Yeah, I, I had two contracts. I had a contract with Honda, Honda Britain to ride the Formula 1 bike. Right. But <clears throat> they were... The, this thing was... It's a big white elephant, really. It, it, it was never going to work. Um, I think now with modern electronics, modern technology, you might get somewhere near it, but at the time it wasn't going right. to work. Right, right. Because uh, they decided to take the two-strokes on with a four-stroke, didn't they? Yeah, that was really and, what they were and, to do. At the time, we couldn't understand it. I mean, when Gerald Davidson came to me at the last meeting at Brown's Hatch in 1978 and said, I'd like to discuss you riding a Grand Prix Honda 500, I thought, crikey, mm. it's going to be like, it's going to be an improvement on what Halewood and, mm. and Redmond have had. Mm. I couldn't wait to get started. And in actual fact, they just got it completely wrong. Mm. And, and I think that we've, we couldn't understand for a long time why they got it wrong. And I think what's happened is that the guys that were mechanicing and engineering for the Halewood era that in the 60s, like all Japanese countries, if you're half decent, you move up the pecking order. And these guys who had been engineers with the Halewood thing in the 60s, they went out at the top of the tree and that sat around cross-legged one night and decided that without really understanding how good the two-strokes were, we'll just have a three-year project and go win a Grand Prix with the four-strokes like we used to do. And the post sods on the ground, they'd have to sort it out. Mm. And it was just never going to work. No, no, no. I mean, it must have spent literally millions and millions of pounds on it. Oh, um, they did, and, yeah. And, and they did, didn't they bring a road version out? With they did afterwards, and I think that was just a bit of a, a, a face save, if you like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had... Um, we had one. We, we used to. I used to go over to Japan and watch them on the dinos and that. And they used to go bang fairly often. Mm. And um, we had one mechanic, because next MV mechanic, called Carlo. And Carlo had the biggest bed of age you've ever seen in your life, and he was deaf. Right. And and my mechanic Nigel, we, we used to sit in front of these dino rooms and with the glass, and you couldn't see them on there. And this particular time, we let Carlo on the dyno, and it was just the, the front wheel strapped in and the back wheel and, and Carlos on this. And there's all these little Japanese technicians going down, because it's a big dyno house with loads of dynos in it. And Nigel's saying to all these Japanese guys, and they got 20 of these guys looking at um, Carlo on the bike. And then Carlo said, just watch his ears. And he put the wind up on the thing and Carlo's ears are flapping like this. <laughs> Oh dear, a little Japanese laughing and rolling about. Uh, and there was, that was 79 British Grand Prix, I think it was. Yes. Um, where you, um, again... I'd seen, I'd seen a 50 pence piece the lap before. <laughs> and I thought, if I get there quick, I'm going to get it. You, you got it, I think, you did get it. But um, it was, it was um, you started at the, towards the back of the grid. You had to push it about 40 mile out to get it started, it, didn't you? It, that was the first year we ran it, and it... I don't know whether you know the, the, the engine or not, but the, there was, the pistons were, they were called oval, but they weren't. The flat sides and the round at the end. And each piston had two conrods. 
and forward inlet valves and forward exhaust valves. And the reason they'd done that is they wanted a V8, and that was noticed they could get configuration-wise, but obviously the FIM rules wouldn't allow that. And this, this thing had got no, absolutely no flywheel whatsoever. And the first year we ran it, it wouldn't tick over less than 7,000 RPM, that was maximum. And imagine trying to bump start that, it was nearly impossible. The power would start at 12.5, it would finish abruptly at 17.5, but it would run on to about 21,000. It just, and like in Top Gear, if you shut the throttle, the, the back wheel, the engine tried to stop and it'd be hopping the back wheel. And the flag dropped at Silverstone, Mr. Honda was there, and the, the mechanic, chief mechanic had told me before the race that they weren't going to fill the tanks up to do race distance because they didn't want it, the disgrace of finishing last in front of Mr. Honda. And I could have told them it wasn't going to finish anywhere because it had never done Grand Prix distance. Anyway, the flag dropped and the Takazumi, Katayama and myself were at the back of the grid. Katayama started his, I missed it. But the, had about three goes and by the time I actually jumped on the back of it, my legs were like rubber and I'm sat on the set back, back of it, and it was on the back wheel. And I knew we were all having a bit of fun, so I went down the full length of sound finish straight, first, second, third, in, in, on the back wheel. And unknown to me, because there was massive blow-by down the sides of the piston rings, and it was at 45 degrees, the oil level was higher than the breather outlet, and it was pumping oil onto the rear tyre. And everybody, everyone down the pit could see it apart from Muggins here. I tipped it in and down I went. And I came around the second lap and hit the oil and went down, so thank you very much indeed for that. There is a God. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Touche. Uh, is that it? What? No, no that's, that's, that's my RG. That's the RG. It painted yeah. red, wasn't it? Uh, red, yeah. It painted red to, um, yeah. to keep you in practice and everything else, but it was quite a special... There it is, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it. Mark II or Mark III RG500, yeah. um, all paid for by Honda. That must be very unique. I can't think it of it. It was, yeah. And um, I fell off it. The, the worst crash I ever had was at the northwest on that, and the, the rear wheel came loose going into York Airpin. Yeah, and I remember the, it, yeah. Broke, and, broke the uh, magnesium adjuster. Yeah, thing, yeah. Oh. And that morning I'd been around the circuit with Billy Nutt, the uh, clerk of the course, yeah. Yeah deciding we went to straw bales. And there's a telephone box, an old red GPO box, <coughs> about 40 yards further past the airpin. He said, do you want any straw bales on that? I said, no, no one lit that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went, press button B. Um, okay. Um, what's that? That's again, that's the NR. Oh, is it? Oh, right. it? It was an amazing thing because if you look at that photo, the... The, the, what looks like the fairing is actually the chassis. <coughs> and about six bolts hold the engine, the seat assembly and everything into, into the headstock. And when we used to test at Suzuka, it used to fracture around the headstock. Right. And I'd do three or four laps and come in and the, the guy get there with his TIG welder. I will this crack. Really? And I go out again. It's just complete madness. Absolute madness. Bloody hell. Quite extraordinary. You wouldn't think they would get it uh, that wrong, would you? No, that's, that's a TZ750 Yamaha there. Yeah. That's having a jet change. I hate it. For you with your porn star. Did you ever ride one of those? T 
TZ750? I hated it. I did. I never liked them, ever. I much preferred the RG. Yeah, I, yeah. I never really got them all. They were too soft. There was something seemingly very strong wrong, and then the heat of the engine would warm the suspension up, and it yeah. would get worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. Four-stroke era. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I rode that alongside the NR. Oh, did you? Yeah. Right, that same year? That was the British part of the champion of my contract. Okay, and that was a far better bike than the million, yeah. million pound yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, okay, <coughs> there it is again. That's the kind of original XR69s, which yes. now they say they are, but they're not proper ones anymore, no, I no. don't think, are they? But they put modern engines in. Haven't not. you still got one of these? I've got that, yeah. That bike? Yeah. Okay, that, that's yeah. for sale as well? Or not? Is it? Okay, is that going to the Isle of Man auction, do you think? It or? might do. It might do. It might do, yeah. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, that was the corner that you had your crash at. Yeah. Rob McElnay, Joey Dunlop. Was no, gone. no, that's, that's me. Oh, was Rob Mack's hat on. Ah. I went to the start and forgot my hat, so you let me spare one. Where, where, where'd you leave it? Can't remember. You lost your helmet. If I'd known when I left it, I wouldn't have left it, would I? Well, probably not. That's a very, very good point. Um, after a night out, Probably. I, I'll never forget, and he's not in the shot, Roger Marshall, and it always, it will never not make me giggle when Roger Marshall rode for Honda and Barry Simmons would have been the team manager. I think you were there when he drank. He, <laughs> they used to have a competition, didn't they? Who could drink 18 pints of Guinness? He would drink eight pints at lunchtime, Guinness, yeah. and eight pints at night. And at the morning of the race, we're up in Roger's bedroom. And he, they had a little like a press conference thing, didn't they? Oh, it was, a, it was a colour of my Kawasaki. Mm. And he's laid in bed, and it's, it's a bit like a... It's like almost like a religious event. He's laid there going, oh. And Simmons, the team manager, is saying, come on, Roger, you've got to race. Oh. If you eat something, you'll feel better. Oh. <laughs> and then Simmons says to me, he says, I think somebody's poisoned him. <laughs> No, I, thought, I, I, said, I heard the one, he's got a virus and Mick said, I bought him one of them. I, I, said, <laughs> I bought him a bite of it myself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, can you imagine that happening now? I mean, it was, like you say, 16 yeah, yeah. pints was, yeah, a, yeah. was the thing. And then know. that night we went down into Dublin to see ZZ Top. Oh, yeah. It just, just, just madness. Yeah, it, it just, was. Just it cut was, fun. It was just wild. Look where people stood on the pavement and everything else like that. Yeah. Uh, a lovely shot of the number 10 Kawasaki here. Uh, right, a bit later on. That's Parliament Square. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was a parade lap. And as you know, the, the, those were towards the, by the time they got to this, maybe 84 with the RGs, they did handle really well in the Iron yeah, Man. Yeah, yeah. And I came through Hanley's and it started weaving about. And I thought, I must have a flat tyre. So I stopped it ever so quick. And the rear wheel spindle was out that far. It was just ready for the brake caliper to drop off it. Come all the way. Frighten the life out of me. I can well imagine. That was a parade lap or something. Yeah, I don't know. Now, your love of um, trials, which you're still doing very much, you're off to France soon, aren't you? Do you just come back. Have you yeah. just come back from yeah, yeah. France, trials riding? Yeah. That's your lovely aerial. Yeah, it's You've now uh, Tiger Cub. Sold it now, have you? Yeah, yeah. Tiger Cub is your bike now, isn't it? Or Bantam. 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 I beg your pardon. Bantam. Yeah. Um, and is that legal? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do, do they check them much? Or, or? No. No, all right, okay. So, so it's, uh, it's a 375 Bantam, is it? Something like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that means it's a 400. <laughs> right. But the aerial was a pretty trick bike. I just, I just love riding it, but it just got to a point where... You're not going to believe this, but I did everything within the spirit of pre-65, and to go further, I couldn't go any further. I did everything with it. Right. Okay. Right. And so right. I just decided to sell it and... Right. Start with the Bantam, which I'm quite enjoying okay. playing with. 
Parading, that's the bike that Steve Wheatman owns, I think, yeah. isn't it? And he kindly yeah. lets you ride that pretty much wherever you want, yeah. whenever you I want. I won the senior in 81 on that. Okay. And right. it's, it's an ex-Randy Mamola uh -huh. bike. Right. That is the only bike I've ever ridden around the Isle of Man where, you know, when you're going over the jumps, you've got to be absolutely 90 degrees. Yeah, otherwise it tied itself in a knot. That one, you could, wherever you land, wherever you took off from whatever angle, it landed properly. Really? It was right. bizarre. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, it's still in pristine condition, and uh, say yeah. the lovely Steve Wheatman uh, looks after it. There it is again on that yeah. parade lap. Uh, is that Kevin 34? It's not Ke No, it's Steve Plater, isn't it? Yeah, on yeah. Kevin Schwantz's bike, yeah. actually, uh, on another parade lap round. Um, where the hell was that then? I don't uh, know, but that's Corky behind. Oh, yeah, I don't is, know the number four is. No, is it McGuinness, is it? Uh, yeah, would be John McGuinness. It's yeah. obviously another parade lap yeah. around. Uh, we've got Norton Development Team. So you've yeah. been involved with the Norton pretty much from the early stages yeah, with their but, racing development. Yeah, yeah. I, I got involved, they've been going about two years when I got involved with it. Okay, all right. Um, and still pretty much involved. Back to Oliver's Mount here. This is uh, Mr. Reed um, and some of Steve Wheatman's bikes and bits and pieces and stuff like that. Um, Oliver's Mount, you've got plans to move it on even more? Yeah, we... Three years ago... It, it stopped running. Yes, um, um, had, had a few issues there, didn't it? They had a few issues, and Peter Hillaby, who was always been with, with chatting on the way down, he's always been really good with us, um, but he's got health issues, and it, it just got out of his control. And I got a phone call saying that it's going to go to the wall. So I didn't want to say that happened, because Oliver's Mount was the first time I'd actually ever seen a road race. Mm -hmm. So it probably mm -hmm. was the beginning of me wanting to race motorbikes. So I have a bit of an affinity with the place. So I rang Eddie Roberts, and, and I knew Eddie had got Mallory Park up and running. And to cut a long story short, we both decided that we didn't see it as a career um, chance because of his age, but we didn't, neither did we want to see Scarborough disappear. So we, we, we got together, and um, we've since got a third guy coming with us. We spent an awful lot of money making the place a lot safer, and we're going to spend a lot more money. And um, we had two meetings this year, and we were blind. The weather wasn't good at all on either, really. And we still did okay. So I think next year, if we get some good, some good weather, we'll get some money in, and we're just going to plough it all back in for two okay. years and just make it absolutely perfect. Mm. used to be quite surprising, and I don't think it goes on so much now, but there was definitely... Um, it's quite interesting. There was a real north-south split a bit back in the day, wasn't there? Oh. Like us, us southerners had come up there, and, yeah, yeah. and, and uh, obviously I'd, you were heading the, the northern contingent, and there was a number of people from up that way, and I'd turn up there with Barry and uh, maybe... We w one year, Barry won it, and I finished second. And they were actually starting to throw stuff. I know, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. Barry was going round on the, on the open-top car, and they actually had to go with him, so that you know. That so they didn't throw. That's right. Unless they got a good aim, they yeah, would yeah. to get you as well. But it, well, it was a little bit of that. So give him plenty of shit tonight, won't you? Because he's down south tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but we used to do. Uh, they used to have the best part of Scarborough, Oliver's Mount. Actually, it wasn't at Oliver's Mount. It was down at the uh, Spa Ballroom. Spa Ballroom, wasn't it? Peter used to put the Spa Ballroom on on the Saturday night, and we'd go in there, and. And uh, Stephen, Barry, and myself, and you get in there, and there'd be a lot of folk round, and there'd be girls coming up, and they want their arm signing, and they'd do that. Then they want this signing, and then without any warning, the bra would be off, and they want the boob signing. Mm, mm. So I'd hold a boob, and Barry would very carefully sign it, 
and they need all that one, and I sign that one. <laughs> and they just kept coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My missus is about eight deep at the far end. I can see her head bobbing up. What are you doing? <laughs> We're just signing autographs. <laughs> The magic nights. Yeah, yeah, they were actually. They were really, really good fun, and uh, just everyone would be in there. The whole crowd would end yeah, up in yeah, there at night time, yeah, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really was rather special. What's that? Hang on, what was that then? That's God you, only knows. you being awarded. Uh, it's uh, the biggest bounce going I've ever had in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, that's happening at the Isle of Man, and you've yeah. got your Norton jacket. And there's Eddie Roberts. Eddie. Eddie used to race with us back in the day. Then he yeah. ran Mallory Park with Stuart. He, yeah. But his main job is supplying Pirelli tyres to the British Superbike. That's right. It's his trucks yeah. and everything else. Uh, and the, the nice thing with Eddie, relative to Oliver's Mount, is we, because we've both got the same background, when we see issues arrive, we think absolutely in parallel because we because we've come the same background and it's he's a really good guy to work with and he's quite smart as well. Mm, mm. It's a good job one of us is. Yeah, yeah, well, some, someone's got to be there. Um, going back to nights out and bits and pieces and dinners and everything else, um, Scarborough used to have, well, the club is Auto 66 and um, Peter Hillaby used to run a motorcycle road racing show up there at York Football Ground. Oh, no, you, York Horse Racing. You bastard. <laughs> Not a very nice way to treat the gentleman that he's talking about. But I, again, I can't remember what Mick had done, but there was there's always been this kind of, well, say north-south, but there'd be, he must have done something to me. But we were having, we were there, I think we got our ties and jackets on, and it was the awards night for the Auto 66. And I think we might have been guests of honour or something and were awarding them and this, that, and that. And, and I sat on a t long, long table with lots of us. There must have been 12, 18 of us on this table. And it was all, it went a bit quiet and stale, and I thought it needed livening up a little bit. And I can't remember what went on, but I remember going off to the this excuse me, it's rather disgusting. I went off to the gents' urinals and I got those tablets that are laying in the bottom of them to, to freshen things up. And I think I gave the waitress a fiver or something to put them on a nice plate on napkins and bits and pieces. And I was, I was in deep conversation with somebody and... and, and <laughs> Twelve months ago, there's a piece in Motorcycle News, and he was actually re uh, admitting the crimes it committed that no one knew about. Until I saw it twelve months ago, I didn't even know about it. Yeah. <laughs> he just thought it was a dodgy all sort. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't all sort. Um, now, we started off early on actually talking about um, uh, were you having me thrown out at Snetterton and uh, just nicking the championship and bits and pieces. <laughs> I can't help but uh, remind you of, I think it was last year at the Classic Motorcycle Club meeting at Donington Park. Remember, Mick? You bastard again. <laughs> Mick. This man. Uh, Go on. Mick phoned me one day. I'm actually on my way to Donington Park to the CRMC meeting, and uh, he phoned me just out of the blue. He said, I've just read the new regulations for Goodwood, because it was all just about to come up. And he said, it says you've got to have an international licence or a national, national. licence. And I think we've got whatever licences. Clubman. Yeah, Clubman or whatever it was. I don't really know. We have whatever's the minimum you have to have. And he said, uh, I've got a feeling we might have to have our licences upgrade. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm on my way to Donington. Because, in fact, just the national licence, it's ridiculous. We would have to do six races and get them tacked off. Yeah. And there's no way I was going to do that, and I knew he wouldn't. No. And I thought, if anybody can fiddle it, he's the man. <laughs> and in fairness, I wasn't the sharpest knife in the box, because I knew I was going to come off second worst. 
So I said, well, I'm on my way to Donington Park now, and I'll have a word with Sally Russell, who looks after it, and, and she does all the licence signing and bits and pieces. Leave it with me, mate, I'll come back to you. So anyway, that afternoon I went straight up to see Sally, and I said, look, we've got to get Mickey, I owe him one, actually, for having me chucked out at Snetterton. Uh, and she went right along with it, as well as everyone else there. And so I phoned Mick up, and I said... And as it happened, we didn't have to change a licence at all. It was for the international people coming over or whatever. And uh, anyway, our licences were fine. So I phoned Mick up, I said, you're right. I said, uh, we've got to do some laps around Donington Park, and, and as long as you do three laps around Donington Park at a set time, everything will be right, and Sally will sign it off, and the licence will be good. Uh, so I said, your only chance is to turn up tomorrow to come and do it, because this was a Saturday, and it was Sunday. He said, oh, I've got a trial booked. I said, well, this could be your only chance. Or whatever. I rang, I rang, I rang, I rang Sally. I said, Sally, I've, I, we won it 12 months ago. Why do we need to come and do three laps around Donington Park? Well, that's how it is. Mm. And I said to him, I said, I've got a cracking trial I want to do. Well, got to make your mind up. Anyway, I organised this wonderful Jalera for you to ride. And so it was, it was one of George Beals. It was the replica Jalera worth lots and lots of money and everything else. So sure enough, 10 o'clock in the morning Mick, or 11 o'clock, Mick turns up. What I couldn't understand was that he's ringing on the, he rung me three times the way down. Are you on your way? I thought this has been very tentative. And then when I get there in my car, he's waving me into a parking spot. This isn't right. This is not. This is not Stavros. This is not the Stavros that I know. And twelve o'clock came. I got my leathers on. It's a hot day. The sweat dripping off the end of my nose. I said, "What? What am I riding?" He says, "There's a Benelli here." That was it, Benelli. Yeah. So, and there's George Bill with it, and John Cronshaw, and then, and I said, "Why are you in your leathers?" He said, "I'm in the next session," and at this stage, I'm beginning to feel distinctly uncomfortable. <laughs> And they got the starter going, and pre they pretended to start it, and George Bill jumped off the bike and says, bloody ignition, it's gone again. And as if by magic, hey, I've got a bike for you. And they came round the corner with a rusty old Honda 50 step through, <laughs> with a wooden box on the front of it. <laughs> And, off he, and I said, well, it's your only chance. So <laughs> off he went for a lap in the I lunch hour. It took the out, lunch hour to get through. Yeah. Um, but in fairness, I have to say, when you came back, you had a smile on his face because he said, first time I've ever got through Craner Curves, flat out. <laughs> yeah. And the chicane. Yeah, and the chicane for that matter. Brilliant. Well, I, I, I can only apologise. I think we're pretty much all square now, as it happens. So, um, so that's Oh, no, we aren't. Uh, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> we'll wait and see. Right, um, I think it's probably time for some questions uh, from the floor right now. We've covered an awful lot of things. Thank you very much indeed for our slideshow. We don't normally get that. That's Ray Gale. Thank you very much. Where is Ray? Down here. Thank you very much to Ray to put that together. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to say what a pleasure it is to listen to you. Yes. That's not Absolutely. what he said to Phil Reed. We've had so many... <laughs> What did you say? <laughs> it's not what you said to Phil Reed, is oh, it? No, no. <laughs> we no. won't go there, OK? Right. But, but no, I it's agree. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank Thanks you, sir. Yeah, I agree. Thank you, Mick. You're not, got, not done with him yet. Thank you. So, so it's now yeah, time for you to throw things at his. Yeah, absolutely. Yourself. But we need to ask you about what the excuse was for Goodwood. You've come up with two well, to me. I sat on the bike and a lot of the people, it was a Le Mans start and you had to run across, but I'd pulled a groin muscle playing cricket the day before. <laughs> I actually hit a four 
um, and didn't realise you didn't have to run. So anyway, I ran and pulled a groin muscle. So I got dispensation to sit on the bike. Do you know something? At just the same time as he pulled the groin muscle, I saw three pink pigs fly <laughs> past every <laughs> And so I got special dispensation from my mate Sally Russell <laughs> um, to sit on the bike as my partner ran, because you have to run across and get on the bike. And we, it was all arranged that he was going to run across it and touch me and I was going to go. No, but, but, whoa, whoa. It, you got to stand behind the bike with the bike in neutral. My groin was hurting. <laughs> then you, then you touched I couldn't stand up. My groin was hurting. You the bloody thing in gear with the clutch halfway out. No. And what happened was the clutch started dragging. I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> and the wasp flew in my helmet. And, and I didn't see the flag. And anyway. Oh, dear. But I purposely no. slowed down, let the others come past. <laughs> <laughs> right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm sure there are more than... One question to go with, uh, with us tonight and ask Mick any questions. Who wants to start? Hi, hi Mick. Good to see you. Um, can you tell us why you picked number 10 as your lucky number? First of all, I'm not superstitious and it's, I don't see it as a lucky number. I was born on the 10th of July. Um, and in those days, we actually <clears throat> make quite the majority of our money on on start money, appearance money. And it was important to have a strong image. I mean, the Kawasaki gave, gave me a strong image. I always kept the same helmet for the same reason. You needed a good image. And, and the number 10, it was all part of the thing. Um, and I mean, you see modern GP riders now, and okay, you, the top guys, you can, see, you can spot them a mile off, but um, they don't seem to bother with this image so much. Well, I think, unfortunately, it's, um, it's all about the, the kind of signing on fee. The helmet companies change the designs. They yeah. get paid an awful lot of money to, yeah. to sell one helmet and then the following year a different yeah. one. So I think it's a lot more commercialised. But I yeah. completely agree. From a commentator's point of view, it's a bloody nightmare. Yeah. And the thing is, the, the helmets they've got now, the works of art, if you see them this close, but from, from a camera... They're all either muddy blues and muddy reds. Yeah, yeah it's a nothing. splodge. Yeah, I completely agree. But it, it was very much the case back in our era. Each, as we were able to see on the grids here, you could tell everyone by the helmet design, yeah, which yeah. I don't think you'll be able to do that in no. 2017, if you look back, to see who everyone was. So, um, yeah, it's a good question. And it was uh, basically, you're born on the 10th of July, um, 19... Mm, Whenever. Uh, 18. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, there's actually two questions. Uh, one is to both of you. Do you think the speeds on the TT are getting too too fast now? And the second one is to Mick. Um, when you're a professional motorcycle racer, when one of your um, fellow professionals turns up with the registration number PEN15, <laughs> I think it was, what was your initial reaction and thought? The what? The EE? No, he said one of your... Professional competitors turned up with this ridiculous number plate of PEN15. Well, I was. He immediately I, thought he was I, a prick. I was, I, I, well, I was disgusted. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can only say it's your mind because it says PEN15. So, <laughs> so it's obviously your warped northern sense of humour. <laughs> what well, I can see. What was the other question? Uh, the other question was, do oh, we yes. do we think the speeds are too high at the Isle of Man now? No, they're not. Um, you could have asked the same question in 1920, 1930, all the way through. Um, the lap speeds, it, it's diminishing returns. The lap speeds in the, in the 20s and 30s, jumping at miles an hour at a time, 
they're getting tighter and tighter. But you know, the bikes, the, the, the biggest single factor for the, the speeds to increase, whether it be horsepower, tyres or whatever, the one most important factor is the state of the roads. You know, the corners are being taken out, the, the, they don't have any many bumps in them, and it's quicker. But I don't see any reason why it should stop. And the bikes are actually, the, state, the same guys are still going to win, but the bikes are a lot easier to ride now than they used to be. Yeah, I, I completely I mean, as Mick rightly says, a number of each year corners get straightened out. Most importantly, surfaces get changed. I mean, even just this year, the one thing that I reckon probably would have made half a second a lap probably is May Hill going up there. It's completely yeah. smooth now. And that yeah, was a yeah. corner that was defined by if you could hang on the bike and it didn't bounce across the road. Yeah. Certain areas. So it's not just a corner. If that corner smoothed out, then you carry that speed all the way along the next straight. So mm -hmm. um, certain places like Brandish and, and, and where they straighten the corners out and the road surfaces and of course the tyres and everything else but yeah you're right I'm sure that when someone did the first 100 mile hour lap Malcolm Uphill I think it was yeah, yeah. almost certainly someone said that's ridiculous yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. so yeah. I, I don't know and there was some talk about uh, maybe you shouldn't have 1000 cc's or have 600 but corner speed is probably higher on a 600 yeah, yeah. We, I mean we have the same bother with Scarborough at the minute the ACU won't let us on thousands <clears throat> in actual fact the lap speed from a 600 to a 1000 is about a tenth of a second in it mm. Which means that the 600s are going around corners quicker than the thousands because obviously the thousands are quicker in a straight line. And it's on the corners where the problems happen. So if you're going to use that argument, then we should ban 600s, not thousands. Okay, uh, any more questions, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, one in front. In front. I do the marriage front. problems if you've got, or yeah. just the most. <laughs> any um, health issues? Yeah, any health issues, I can certainly get. So uh, when you're racing the triple. Two strokes. Uh, were they prone to seizure, and how did you deal with the centre pot going tight, and without getting onto the rude topics and things like that? The three, the the, the Kawasaki's were in seventy-five, seventy-six. They were <clears throat> the ref too too much, and they used to uh, destroy crankshafts. They didn't, they didn't quite get the sums right because the average Formula 750 race was 100 miles long. Right. The cranks are normally last about 70. Oh, really? So it, 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 didn't make, it didn't make for good motoring. But 77, 78, they dropped the revs down to 95, and they're quite reliable then. Right. But they're very rarely seized. And, and I think what probably used to happen, and I don't know if you were that involved with it, but you would often just jet the, the middle cylinder up if it got hotter or yeah. something like that and just yeah, yeah. sort your carburation. Carburation back in those days was literally done by a plug shop, generally, wasn't it? Yeah, you, yeah. If you look back at a lot of the pictures, we, you were forever coasting the last part of the circuit. Um, after a plug shop, mechanics would take the plugs out, you'd take them over to Vince French, a bloody champion or whoever, you'd have a look at them, yeah, go up a jet, down a you jet. Wouldn't go, you wouldn't give one to him to look at that's for sure. <laughs> Down three jets. Another question may be, ladies and gentlemen, before I call time. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Can, can I just... Of course you can. Can yeah. I just tell him my favourite story of all Go on, time? Then. It, it, it regards one James Whittam. In, in 1989, he was riding for me in, in the Suzuki team. <clears throat> and I'd done a deal over the winter with a company called Fieldshare. Leathers. leathers. They weren't the best, but I got all my four riders in these leathers. We didn't get any money, but the team looked good. And James, he said to me, I said, I don't like these leathers. They're not comfortable. And I, I think if I fell off, they wouldn't be safe, which wasn't true. 
And they kept having a go at me about this. And I think the reason was it probably had a bit of an offer from somebody else to pay him some money to wear some leathers. Anyway, we got to the first meeting at Mallory Park, on the, and he was on the superbike. He did about three laps, and he came back in, and he pulled up alongside me. He says, Mick, I've told you before, I am sick and tired. These leathers are so uncomfortable. I just can't wear them. And I look, and he's got a right long neck, hasn't he? And I look behind his neck and there's a bloody coat hanger hook stuck out. <laughs> and you know, he never mentioned the leathers for the rest of the season. I must tell you, in some ways it's rather a sad story, but also I think it will make you giggle, and I'm sure Mick knows about this, but um, Michael Rutter, who we all know races now, he's coming to the end of his career, but I raced a lot, and Mick would have done with his father, Tony Rutter, who was an excellent rider, really, really good 250-350 rider, and unfortunately, Tony's career came to an end at Mondewi Park. He did, yeah. had a terrible yeah. accident there, and he was taken off to hospital, and his family couldn't find him. Uh, I don't know if you know this, they no, went around no. all the hospitals in Barcelona and they were looking for him and they spent two days, they finally found him by going back to some of the hospitals and looking at each bed and Tony Rutter was in there, very badly injured, with Frank Thomas written at the bottom of the bed. <laughs> 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 Honestly, that is the name of his letters. <laughs> Every time we have a motorsport legend um, here, we like to present that person with a piece of the original 1908 Brooklyn's track. And oh. that is for you, sir. Oh, thank you, you very go. much. Okay, In that's fact. genuine stuff. It well, has been um, sealed. His hasn't. Bloody yeah. But it'll tell you yeah. his is bigger. Um, it is. <laughs> I've seen, is. Hey, I've seen it and it isn't. <laughs> Throwing at that, Scarborough. Next time I go around, <laughs> nothing, nothing so easy. Yeah. Thank you very much. Treasure, I, do, I thank appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so finally, the raffle. Hopefully, my wingman is here with me. Um, someone has lost their raffle tickets, and if these are the winners, especially the bottle of wine, I'm going to keep it. Okay. So if you're foolish enough to lose your raffle ticket, not you, I, it's I, not yours, is it? it yeah, it's mine. Okay. Um, no. Right. I'm sure at the end of this, uh, Mick would be happy to sign any autographs. And your book. Yeah, I've got some books here if anyone does want a bit of a giggle, but uh, we'll be at the back if you want any signing done Absolutely. by Mick or whatever Thank you would like. Right, okay. First number coming.